from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. A trip to the rodeo, that's about more than riding and roping. And they teach us a lot of life lessons, um, priorities, and what's important in this world. As renewable fuels fight to increase their bottom line numbers. Plenty of other markets are looking for biodiesel and renewable diesel. If, uh, EPA is not going to accommodate that demand. The latest push to grow the industry right now on Ag. Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. The makers of biomass diesel are asking the government for changes in their RFS proposal. They want an increase in renewable volume obligations. It comes at a critical time for the industry as they look ahead to possible demand growth amid calls to lessen our need for fossil fuels. Ag Day's Michelle Rook talked with industry leaders about why these numbers are so critical. Michelle. Clinton, in their formal comments, Clean Fuels Alliance America is asking EPA to significantly increase the mandated amount of biomass-based diesel and biofuels over the next three years or only finalize the 2023 volumes. The agency's initial renewable volume obligations or blending mandates flatline volumes, keeping requirements below 3 billion gallons through 2025. The group wants EPA to increase the biomass-based diesel by 500 million gallons year over year and increase the advanced biofuels volumes by 1 billion RINs year over year as supported through the data. They say EPA is required to consider factors such as commercial development of these fuels, the positive impact on the economy, benefits for consumers, and the environmental benefits. They add that the industry is already producing above the levels outlined in EPA's proposal and has made investments to double production based on signals from the administration, including $5 billion in soy processing capacity. The Department of Energy in particular is projecting billions of gallons of uh, renewable diesel capacity to come online in the next three years. And if EPA is unwilling to provide space in the market under the renewable fuel standard, then a lot of those investments may be rethought, pulled back, um, and or the fuel will have to find other markets to go into. He says even though the industry is getting market-based signals for growth, including state low-carbon fuel standards like California, without the RFS mandate, they could get undercut by the competition. And plenty of other markets are looking for biodiesel and renewable diesel. If uh, EPA is not going to accommodate that demand and support it with uh, higher volumes of, of RVOs, then it's uh, possible that other countries will be the recipients of the, of the clean fuels that, are, that U.S. producers are, are generating. If EPA is unable to significantly raise the volumes across the three years, they're requesting they only finalize 2023 requirements as directed by the consent decree. Now, Clean Fuels says EPA's own data shows that more than 3.6 billion gallons of advanced biomass-based diesel was generated for the RFS program in 2022. That's an increase of more than 500 million gallons over 21. The Energy Information Administration recently projected that domestic renewable diesel capacity could more than double through 2025 to 5.9 billion gallons. All right, thanks, Michelle. African swine fever is still very much an issue around the globe right now with Hong Kong reporting an outbreak. The World Organization for Animal Health saying it happened on a farm near the border with mainland China. Officials say samples taken from a pig farm there 
tested positive for the virus with 45 hogs dying because of the outbreak. Five pig farms within a couple of miles of that farm were also inspected, but no virus was found. A new snapshot of water levels in California show many of the state's largest reservoirs are in good shape. The State Department of Water Resources continuing to report that the snowpack in the Sierras is well above the April 1st average. At last report, it was at 135%. The two largest water storage facilities in the state are Lake Shasta, which is at 58% capacity, and Lake Oroville at 68%. And while those numbers are improved, officials say the groundwater supply is still an issue, with 60% running below average. The Ag Day weather team is keeping watch on southwest Texas today and concerns for possible fires breaking out. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joins us with the very latest. We will be watching an elevated low pressure system here and that will lead to some elevated fire concerns here across parts of southwestern Texas. That will have to keep our eyes on for today as we get to be looking at some wind gusts in excess of 40 miles an hour. You'll see this here on the wind gust forecast. Notice those purples. That's an indication of 40 to 50 mile an hour winds, and we're going to see that stronger wind gust moving its way up across the northern plains, Great Lakes, and in fact, for much of the central and eastern half of the country, it's going to be a windy week ahead. Let's walk you through the radar here on this Tuesday, starting at 7 a.m. this morning. We'll be watching again that dry line off to our west and across southwestern Texas, leading with it to uh, elevated fire concerns. Meanwhile, a cold front associated with that low We'll be watching some showers and thunderstorms up across the Dixie Alley, and you'll see that in the severe weather threat here for Wednesday, where we could be looking at a few tornadoes and damaging wind gusts from Dallas all the way over towards Memphis. And as we head on into Thursday, this threat slides east and north, even up across the Ohio River Valley. We'll have to watch out for some damaging winds and even pockets of heavy rain and small hail as we head right on into Thursday. And we showed you the beginning of the season and now the end. Scott Sonnenberg of Spearman, Texas, showing us what's going on at his cotton gin. And the last bale coming out of the press. He says they have been blessed beyond belief with such great producers. They say the gin produced 150,000 bales. I'll have more in your Ag Day forecast in just a few. Win the Furrow programming on Ag Day is sponsored by Zyway brand fungicides from FMC. Get season-long systemic disease protection from the inside out, from root to tassel and stalk to leaf. Go long with Zyway brand fungicides. Before planning even starts, the inoculums for in-season diseases are already likely on residue covering the soil. That includes the fungus tar spot. This relatively new plant disease continues to spread across the Corn Belt, showing up as black speckled dots on plant leaves. It has the potential to severely reduce yield. Some report losses of 20 up to 100 bushels per acre. Now, the fungus zaps plants' health, ultimately reducing ear size, kernel fill, and increasing stock rot and lodging. Michigan field agronomists Missy and Bill Bauer, they say in 2021, it was much worse than 2022. Now take a look at this field in August of 2021. On the 20th, tar spot first started showing up. About 12 days later, you can see how plants were already dying. And by the end of September, the field is completely dead. Bauer says, while many think rainfall and temperatures are a key driver, they say it's important to watch humidity. So in 2021, if we were tracking this back starting about June 20th or so, and the humidity levels are like off the top of my chart. So they're really peaking out the top of my chart uh, through the end of June and really all the way through the month of July. 
And then if, which is what caused the firestorm. And then if I look at 22 on that same graph and start back on the 20th of June, it's basically now at the bottom of my chart, like falling off the bottom of it. Just a huge difference night and day when you actually put those humidity levels on the graph itself. And one of the one of the things about humidity that's come from the universities, I, I believe there's a really good number based on what we've seen here the last couple of years, is that when average daily humidity is above 75%, our, our risk with the tar spots can be much greater. Now Bauer says this is a disease that requires a proactive approach. Scouting is important, as is keeping an eye on humidity levels during the key development stages in mid to late June through July. She recommends selecting naturally resistant hybrids in those high pressure areas and using newer fungicide technology or products with multiple modes of action and planning ahead to make sure those products are available. All right, grains tried to extend those gains on Monday as global fundamentals kept traders guessing. We'll talk about that next in analysis and later helping people with disabilities have a one of a kind experience when it comes to life in the rodeo ring in the country. Soybean meal continuing to gain ground on Monday with March contract topping $500 per short ton helped by ongoing concerns around weather in Argentina. Michelle Rook discusses that with John Payne in this morning's Markets Now. Well, markets were leaning higher on Monday. John Payne with uh, Hedgepoint Global Markets joining us. And Soybean meal, the real star, about $500 new contract ties. How much higher do you think we have to go there, John, to get these South American production concerns worked in? Well, I think in the short run, you've got a physical squeeze going on. A lot of that's coming out of the Argentinian meal sector. They are number one on the world export terminal stage. So they, you know, produce a lot and then they export a lot. That's unlike uh, the other three participants, which is China and the United States. We tend to use a lot of it ourselves. So uh, that's hitting the market right now. Short term, the market's moved from a pretty flat. We'll call it right around November 25th. So Thanksgiving time period before the RFS announcement. Post RFS announcement, we move close to uh, the, the you know record highs or above it. So it's it's a uh, it's it's a steep curve, and I think the market's going to find a home, but it's going to take delivery. So the next three weeks are going to be wild in, in bean meal. Is that going to be enough to push soybeans back above the resistance we couldn't take out on Monday and into contract high areas or not? Yeah, I mean I think it's certainly supportive for for beans themselves. You know, near term beans. They could go as high as you want to price them in. If there's somebody short on the crush, they're going to keep buying until they need it because the margins are so large. So, again, I think that the real market fireworks are going to take place post first notice day uh, in these March contracts. I think corn could perform very well. Uh, I think wheat probably be the one that you'd want to fade in that regard. Um, but all in all, at this point, um, you know, markets like corn, soybean meal, big part of the, the, the meat crush. And even at that point, we're still, um, you know, penciling in profits. So, uh, unlike uh, a run-up we saw in 2015 in the in the uh, in the markets, or I'm sorry, 2012 rather in the markets, and then 2015 in those cattle markets where you know prices started to get out of control, and I don't think we're right. at that point yet. Wheat's been concerned about Black Sea exports. Is that rally just about over, or it's gonna, is it going to take a pause? Well, we saw open interest increase, so we've got a record short position, or darn near. I think a lot of folks would call it record, just given the the new world we live in, but. Right. Um, you know, the, the fact that we're seeing longs come in here is a little concerning. And again, as I mentioned before we went on the air, the Russia-Ukraine situation, I think, is something we have to pay heed to here. Volatility is very low, and the market has a lot of jumpy, uh, potential jumpiness to be priced in. I think okay. those will change. 
Okay, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Thank you. To find John's newsletter, This Week in Grain and Oilseeds, head over to www.thisweekingrain.com. Ag Day is sponsored by Germinator Closing Wheels. Germinator Steel Closing Wheels, perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. Meteorologist Andrew Whitmire joining us here taking a look at our national forecast. And Andrew, let's start with the fact that winter isn't over yet. In fact, oh. some places are still going to see quite a bit of snow this week. Yeah, in some places the groundhog was absolutely correct here. We're still watching for some pockets of snow across the northern plains here. As we go throughout the early week, Tuesday into Wednesday, could be looking at some several inches of snow. Combine that with wind, that'll lead to blowing snow across parts of the northern plains, upper Midwest. But we're also watching another system as we head towards late week. And zooming on back to the south, we're going to be watching a Colorado low that will be developing here across the central part of the uh, plains as we head throughout to Wednesday into Thursday. And this is good news for Kansas as again, we have been in an extreme drought across parts of the state and it will be nice again if we can get a decent amount of snow here with enough water with it as well uh, to again uh, help with uh, some of those dry conditions across the southern plains and notice how it likes to zoom its way all the way through parts of central Iowa up into southern Wisconsin and upper Michigan as well where we could be looking at several inches of kind of a shovelable if not a plowable snow here as we round out this week. But let's first focus on our first system here as we head throughout the day for this Tuesday. We're going to be watching this cold front here and that's going to produce scattered showers and thunderstorms across the southern plains. Notice how we get kind of that uh, southwestern flow here. We're going to be watching for more showers moving through parts of the Great Lakes and on the north side of that we're going, going to be watching a narrow band of some snow that could be setting up across the far eastern portions here of the Dakotas as well as parts of the upper plains where we could be looking at some snowfall combine that with a little bit of wind and we'll have to watch out for some blowing snow with that as well and eventually this system kind of works its way off towards the north and east then as we head into Wednesday and even on into Thursday this is this Colorado low we were talking about and this could produce some heavy snow across parts of uh, at least western Kansas and even parts of Nebraska dipping into some of those pockets of some heavier snow as well. And that will produce a severe weather threat across the Dixie Alleyway where we could be looking at a few tornadoes and even a pockets of some damaging wind gust as we head on into Wednesday, something that we'll keep watching closely. That's a look around the country. Now let's take a look at your Ag Day select cities. Going over to Virginia, clouds increasing, high 60 degrees, low 44 degrees. Going over to Amarillo, Texas, windy, gust at times today, 40 to 60 miles per hour, high 62 degrees. Colfax, North Dakota, rain to snow, even some blowing snow. Top cheesemakers in the country are about to face the judges. Plus, last year was a good year when it came to dairy exports. How much milk being produced here is going overseas next. Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineRepeat.com. The Dairy Report on Ag Day is brought to you by Beringer Ingelheim because cattle first is a remark only made remarkable by you, producers and veterinarians across the country. It wasn't just U.S. beef exports that hit records in 2022. U.S. dairy exports 
set new volume and value records again last year. Export volume on a milk solid equivalent basis increased 5% to 2.4 million metric tons, while export volume last year was equivalent to 18% of U.S. milk produced last year, also an all-time high. Now, export value finished the year up 25%, and $9.6 billion. That's the first time it has ever crossed the $9 billion mark. We're exporting more, about 18, 18 and a half, 19% of our overall milk production right now. And that's grown from 16% just a few years ago. So we're, we're exporting more cheese. We're exporting more whey, right? We're exporting more ice cream mixtures. And the markets that are growing, we're seeing a lot of growth in markets in Southeast Asia, a lot of growth in markets here in North America. So Mexico, we, we're, we're exporting a little bit to Canada, not as much as we want to be and a lot of growth in markets in Central and South America. So places where we have uh, uh, trade agreements, for instance, we're seeing significant growth in those marketplaces. All this despite challenges such as inflation and ongoing supply chain issues. Krista Harden, the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council says, quote, if we can do it in the toughest of times, then we can continue to grow exports anytime, end quote. The top cheesemakers in the country are gearing up for a big event, the U.S. Championship Cheese Contest. Now that event has been hosted by the Wisconsin Cheesemakers Association since 1981. It takes place every two years. Cheesemakers can compete in 118 different classes. Judges will evaluate more than 2,200 samples of cheese, butter, yogurt, and dry dairy ingredients. It's taking place in Green Bay, Wisconsin, next Tuesday and Wednesday, and the public is welcome to attend. Up next, a special one-of-a-kind rodeo event. See what makes rodeo so special and the people behind it. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Whether it was bull riding or barrel racing, a group of children with special needs got to experience the thrill of competition in their very own rodeo. LSU Ag Center reporter Craig Gotro was there for the excitement. It's called the Brody Moe Memorial Rodeo, or Brodeo. It's named after the son of Joanne and Jimmy Moe, who died in 2019. We had a special needs son, so I wanted to bring this to our community for all the special needs kids to give them a joyful rodeo experience catered to their needs. The rodeo took place the day before Brody's birthday, and nearly 150 children with special needs got to compete in numerous rodeo events. The Moes are hopeful this will be the first of many. We're hoping that for this to be an annual event where um, we can reach out to other kids in a, uh, in a community, in other parishes maybe, and try to be able to, to bring more kids, special needs kids to that activity. More than 80 volunteers, including members of the McNeese State Rodeo Team, were on hand to help buck the bulls and rope the steers. This event gave the volunteers an insight into a world not many of them had experienced before. Not everybody gets this opportunity, and so it teaches them how to grow as a person by helping somebody who doesn't have the same abilities as they do. Each participant was given a cowboy hat, bandana, back number, and a stick horse. A primary objective was to give the children a one-of-a-kind experience. They teach us a lot of life lessons, um, priorities, and what's important in this world. 
All of this to honor a special child that touched the lives of many. He's just a really wonderful gift from God that you know we had the experience of taking care of here on earth. With the LSU Ag Center, this is Craig Gotra reporting. All right, thanks, Craig. And that's all the time we have this morning. So glad you tuned in from all of us here at Agri.